Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Chris Beers. Here are today's top stories. Former President Trump testifying in the New York Attorney General's office. It's his second appearance in the civil fraud lawsuit filed against him. More information on the leaked top secret Pentagon documents. A new report claims to have found out who orchestrated the leak. Congressman Kevin Hearn is calling for action on a strong debt limit, limit bill. He says it should be the top priority of Republican lawmakers and set a strict deadline to get it done. President Trump's campaign accuses Governor Ron DeSantis of taxpayer-funded globetrotting. Is there merit to these accusations? We'll take a closer look. Former President Trump returns to New York this morning. He's at the New York Attorney General's office where he faces questioning in a $250 million civil fraud suit. Just to be clear, this is not the case brought by Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg. The former president was seen holding up his fist as he left Trump Tower earlier today. A caravan then carried him to Attorney General Letitia James's office. A scattering of protesters waited outside the building. Before his appearance, Trump attacked the Attorney General on the Truth Social platform for what he calls persecution. The lawsuit accuses Trump of manipulating property values to obtain tax benefits. Trump has pleaded not guilty. Today was Trump's second deposition in this case. What he says can be used during the trial or even as testimony if he doesn't appear in court. The trial in this case is set to begin on October 2nd. In other legal news, a huge allegation against one of the biggest banks in the world in a new court filing today. The Attorney General for the U.S. Virgin Islands accuses J.P. Morgan Chase of knowing about the abuse allegations against Jeffrey Epstein. The filing says bank officials were aware of the sexual abuse and trafficking claims against Epstein several years before the bank cut ties with their then-client. The court document also alleges the bank was aware of potentially suspicious cash withdrawals made by Epstein. The Attorney General is accusing J.P. Morgan of obstructing federal law enforcement and prosecuting agencies that pursued Epstein. Epstein pleaded guilty to soliciting prostitution with a minor in Florida back in 2008, but he remained a client of J.P. Morgan until 2013. The complaint is a new addition to a lawsuit brought against J.P. Morgan back in December. The financial institution has declined to comment about the newly filed complaint, but attorneys for them have denied the allegations in the lawsuit. The person who leaked a number of classified Pentagon documents is a young man in his 20s who shared them in a group chat. That's according to a new report. Here are the details. Washington Post reports it found out where the leaked classified U.S. documents were initially posted. According to the outlet, a young man working on a military base shared them in a Discord server. Discord is similar to a big group chat mostly used by young video gamers. The young man going by OG in the Discord server reportedly had top secret clearance on the base he worked. It's not clear which base this was. The post says it interviewed another young man under the age of 18 who was part of that Discord server. The young member reportedly told the post he was impressed by OG's ability to predict big events before they made the news. Things only someone with this kind of high clearance would know. And that he's fit, he's strong, he's armed, he's trained. Just about everything you can expect out of a, some sort of crazy movie. The member allegedly knows OG's real name and the state he lives in. An FBI manhunt is currently underway for the person who leaked the documents. The Pentagon, meanwhile, is reportedly reviewing the leaked documents, saying an interrogancy effort has been stood up, focused on assessing the impact these photographed documents could have on the U.S., national security, and on our allies and partners. The young member says he expects investigators to interrogate him any day. So-called OG is allegedly skeptic of the U.S. government, saying intelligence agencies suppress its citizens. He also complained about government overreach. The leaked documents in question contain information about the Russia-Ukraine war, information about the U.S. spying on its allies, and more. Information was very detailed including where armies have military personnel and weapons stationed. More classified information about the Russia-Ukraine war reportedly surfaced online Thursday morning. The documents show that special forces from the UK and other NATO allies have operated in Ukraine. The UK's Ministry of Defense warned against taking the allegations at face value. 
Media outlets, including the BBC and The Guardian, reported that a document dated March 23rd indicates 50 UK Special Forces personnel have been deployed in the country. But the document reportedly doesn't state whether the allegedly deployed forces are located or what they are doing. The Kremlin said yesterday that it was unclear whether the allegations were true. President Biden has also commented on the leak. Here's a look. Mr. President, could you give an update on that leak investigation, the leak documents from DOD? I, I, I can't right now. There is a full-blown investigation going on, as you know, with the intelligence community and the Justice Department, and they're getting close. We don't, I don't have an answer. How concerned are you about this leak? Are you concerned about the leak? Okay, guys, it's time to go. Let's well, go. Who have we got to move? I'm not concerned about the leak. I'm concerned that it happened. But there's nothing contemporaneous that I'm aware of that is of big consequence. It was the first time Biden commented publicly about the Pentagon documents that were posted on several social media sites. U.S. officials have said that some details are altered, and multiple countries mentioned in the documents have also disputed parts of the information. There's no clear answers on how many documents were leaked. The Associated Press has viewed approximately 50, but some estimates put the total number in the hundreds. A senior House Republican says the time for action is now. A strong debt limit bill, Rep Representative Kevin Hearn says it should be the GOP's top priority. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more. Hearn is calling for a vote on the measure in April and says lawmakers must work night and day to get it passed. According to the congressman, the Senate and White House need to answer for what he calls their dereliction of duty. When the government spends more, American people have less. And has blamed the Biden administration for multi-decade high inflation. We're seeing this you know, runaway spending is causing the inflation issue. Hearn has criticized the Biden budget, citing $18 trillion in new debt, $5 trillion in new taxes, with half a trillion dollars in taxes on small business owners. All of these things are going to be devastating. Hearn's appeal comes amid a debt ceiling deadlock between House Speaker Representative Kevin McCarthy and President Joe Biden as the United States inches closer to a possible debt default. Both Democrats and Republicans have warned that failure to meet the country's debt obligation would be disastrous for the economy. Senator John Kennedy called it unthinkable. And if you're going to have a party, you've got to pay the band. Republicans have pushed for Democrat commitments to cut spending in exchange for agreeing to lift the over $30 trillion debt limit. But Biden has so far insisted on a clean bill to raise the borrowing cap. The president and Democrats in Congress have demanded that Republicans make their spending cut proposals public. Meanwhile, U.S. Senator Elizabeth Warren says any talk of deficit reduction should begin with a few simple steps that she said would raise trillions while not touching middle-class families. Repeal the Trump tax cuts for the wealthy and big corporations. Uh, tax giant multinationals on their offshore profits. Strengthen the billionaire corporate minimum tax. House lawmakers face a tight window to meet Hearn's request for a vote by the end of April after they return from Easter recess next week. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Was the failure of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank tied to Trump administration's banking rules? FDIC Vice Chairman Travis Hill counters Democrats' claims. Some assert that Economic Growth, Regulatory Relief and Consumer Protection Act contributed to the banking turmoil last month. This was a bipartisan legislation signed by Trump in 2018. It eased some requirements on banks with less than $250 billion, namely it meant those banks would no longer have to go through an annual stress test by the Federal Reserve. The previous requirement applied to all banks with over, two, over $50 billion. Travis Hill with the Federal Dep Deposit Insurance Corporation disputes that this bill had anything to do with the recent bank failures. Instead, he says it's a result of not handling interest rates properly. He says he hopes people can first look at the facts and then arrive at conclusions rather than starting with a conclusion you hope to be true and grasping around for facts and support. He also urges policymakers to, quote, propose policy changes based on where we find evidence holes in our framework, rather than just trying to undo policies of the past. The IRS says nearly 1.5 million Americans have unclaimed tax refunds for 2019. The statement says they face a looming deadline to claim a total of $1.5 billion before it becomes government property. 
The IRS commissioner says many people may have overlooked or forgotten about these refunds. There's a three-year window for taxpayers to file returns and claim refunds. If they don't file within three years, any money they could have received becomes property of the U.S. Treasury. Normally, the deadline for filing older tax returns falls around the April de tax deadline, but for 2019 returns, that window has been extended to July 17th. The average unclaimed amount for 2019 is just under $900 per filer. Though Florida Governor Ron DeSantis hasn't said he's running for president, he's currently touring across the country. Because of this, the Trump campaign has accused him of taxpayer-funded globetrotting. I spoke with Epic Times contributor and constitutional attorney Jenna Ellis to see what's behind this claim. Jenna Ellis, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. The Trump campaign is accusing Governor DeSantis of using Florida taxpayer dollars to fund unofficial campaign travels without formally declaring a 2024 presidential run. Trump's team is questioning, questioning whether DeSantis will resign from office due to Florida's resign-to-run law. Can you explain what that law is? Yeah, so the resign-to-run law um, has been on the books on and off in Florida uh, for a number of years, and this basically requires any state elected official in Florida to resign their office before running for a federal position. Of course, uh, this law has been off the books when uh, the then uh, Republican-controlled legislature removed the law uh, for Charlie Crist to potentially uh, run for president when he was the governor. And so now they're contemplating doing the same thing. Uh, if Ron DeSantis, the current governor of Florida, decides to mount a presidential campaign. DeSantis is indeed on a nationwide tour this month. He'll be speaking in both Virginia and New Hampshire this Friday. Does this look like part of a campaign bid to you? And if so, is he technically in violation of this law? He's not in violation of the law because he hasn't announced. And the Trump campaign would do well to remember that uh, President Trump went on a speaking tour and came very, very close to announcing his candidacy for two years before he technically announced. And so even though everyone thought that he was likely uh, mounting a campaign uh, challenge, until you actually announce, you are not running for president. And so here, to me, it just looks like an attempt by the Trump campaign to bully Ron DeSantis from actually entering the race by having these kinds of ethical questions and legal questions that really don't amount to any sort of real technical violation. There's been talk of the Florida legislator changing the law so DeSantis can run for president while remaining governor. Has there been any progress with this move? And if so, what's your take on changing this law? Well, I think that the law um, should just be repealed, and it's actually been questioned, resigned to run laws that aren't exclusive to Florida, have been questioned by the United States Supreme Court all the way back in the 70s as uh, potentially being unconstitutional. No person who is in elected statewide office should be prevented from running for a federal office just because they're a current statewide office holder. So there is legislation that has been submitted uh, and introduced in the Florida legislature that's contemplating this change. And so because there is a, a Republican supermajority in the legislature in Florida, I do anticipate that will be passed. And then Ron DeSantis will have a free and clear choice of whether or not he wants to run for president. His popularity as potential presidential candidate is largely due to his performance as governor of Florida. How would his resignation affect his prospects as a presidential candidate? Well, I don't think he's going to resign at all. I think uh, the Florida legislature will go ahead and change that law so that he does have that free and clear option. Uh, I don't think that any Floridians would like to see him resign at all, but I think that uh, nationwide, he is the most popular Republican governor, and there are a lot of conservatives, evangelical Christians, and many people who want to see a moral authority return to the Republican ticket that are encouraging Ron DeSantis to run. His PAC raised over $30 million. He still has has a giant war chest from running for re-election for governor. And so I do anticipate that he is going to jump into this race, but it is going to be after that law has changed. He's come out and said that he's not going to contemplate that decision until after the Florida legislative session, which ends uh, late next month. So I think we're going to anticipate that uh, announcement either way coming down in June, uh, but I hope he does run. Jenna Ellis, constitutional attorney and former senior advisor and counsel to Donald Trump, thank you for your time. Thanks so much.
The fire at a recycling plant in Indiana could burn until Saturday. That's what the local fire chief is guessing, as firefighters continue to battle the blaze. The large clouds of smoke have residents concerned about their health. An evacuation order affecting over a thousand people remains in place. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on what officials are doing about it. The industrial fire in Richmond, Indiana was so large at one point that smoke could be seen from space. City officials say they knew the site was a fire hazard and the building owner ignored orders to clean up the property. The Environmental Protection Agency, or EPA, says they're monitoring air quality and other environmental impacts in the area. EPA was on site within hours of the fire and overnight we began monitoring at 15 mobile monitoring locations. EPA Administrator Michael Regan says federal personnel are helping state and local first responders with the emergency response efforts. We're following the situation very closely and we'll continue to provide the community with any assistance that they need. Regan says a team is collecting debris samples in surrounding communities to find out if asbestos-containing materials may have left the site. The on-scene EPA coordinator says no toxic compounds have been detected from air samples outside the evacuation area and into part of Ohio. The local fire chief looked to extinguish rumors of the fire being left to burn and says the fire department is trying to put it out. He says the blaze is contained but not under control. The chief has set a goal to finish dousing flames by Saturday morning, but he says that's just a guess. Close to 2,000 people in a half-mile radius were told to leave their homes after the fire began Tuesday. An evacuation order remained in place Wednesday night. President Biden has offered additional federal assistance to respond to the fire if needed. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. The U.S. is working to prevent illegal passage through the Darien Gap. It's a dangerous crossing that migrants use on their way to the United States. The Darien Gap connects South America to Central America. It's known as a lawless jungle area. It sits on the border between Colombia and Panama. The U.S. Secretary of Homeland Security is collaborating with the foreign ministers of Panama and Colombia. The three countries plan to work together for two months to end the illicit movement of people and goods through the Darien. The route has been a major source of illegal immigrant traffic in recent months. According to Panama's government, more than 87,000 people crossed the Darien Gap in the first three months of this year, coming mostly from Venezuela, Haiti, and Ecuador. That's up from nearly 14,000 over the same period last year. Some Republicans would take it a step further and designate drug cartels as terrorist organizations. Now House Speaker Kevin McCarthy says he agrees. This plan would see the U.S. station military forces at the border to prevent cartels from entering the U.S. McCarthy discussed this during an interview last month with Breitbart News in the days after a group of four U.S. citizens were kidnapped in Mexico. The publication only released the interview yesterday when Breitbart asked McCarthy about the idea of designating cartels as terrorists. The House Speaker said he thinks you, you would have to. McCarthy also agreed with spending, sending troops to the border. Former President Trump has endorsed the same idea. There are some troops currently at the border, and the Trump administration deployed National Guard troops at the border during his presidency. A Democratic California congressman is calling for the resignation of a longtime senator from the same party. Representative Ro Khanna called for Senator Dianne Feinstein to resign in a social media post yesterday. Connor wrote on Twitter that it was obvious the 89-year-old could no longer fulfill her duties. Feinstein and Kana represent California in Congress. Feinstein has been away from the Senate receiving treatment for shingles since March. The senator has missed 60 of the 82 Senate votes so far this year. Republican Eric Early announced Tuesday he's entering the 2024 contest to replace Feinstein. Meanwhile, Senator Feinstein says she will return to Washington once her medical team says it's safe for her to travel. Feinstein says she will work closely with Majority Leader Chuck Schumer on how to deal with her absence from the Judiciary Committee. The Democratic National Committee and Steele dossier lawyer Mark Elias are parting ways. The notorious report falsely accused the Trump presidential campaign of colluding with Russia. The divorce was blamed on a number of strategic disagreements. Elias still represents a number of federal and state-level Democratic campaign associations. Elias served as general counsel for the Hillary Clinton campaign during the 2016 presidential election. The lawyer hired opposition research firm Fusion GPS to commission a dossier on Republican candidate Donald Trump. 
The focus was alleged collusion with Russian government operatives. Fusion GPS entrusted the task to retired British spy Christopher Steele, who eventually fed the dossier to the FBI in 2017. The dossier and its core allegations have either been found false or deemed unverifiable, but were key to the FBI's later investigation of Trump. A bogus charity raked in over $140,000. It claimed to help Ohio residents after the train derailment and fire, but they pocketed nearly all of the donations instead of helping those struggling with toxic fumes and contaminated water. Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost has filed a lawsuit against a man named Mike Peppel. The suit alleges Peppel solicited donations to a nonprofit organization, but then kept the money. The organization was called the Ohio Clean Water Fund. Yost alleges that Peppel and others kept all but about $10,000 when money poured in from more than 3,000 donors. The NYPD is hunting for three suspects in a smash-and-grab robbery last month. The thieves took eight Hermes bags from a Manhattan auction house. The total value came to over $240,000. Surveillance video captured a white car parked at the scene in the early morning. Three men get out of the car. A closer angle shows one of them wielding a hammer and smashing the glass, while others stood guard on the, on the street corner. The entire front display panel fell out, and one man reached in to snatch several handbags before running away. Coming up... North Korea is possibly testing a new type of ballistic missile. The test launch created alarm in Japan, where residents were told to take cover. And former UK Prime Minister Liz Truss delivers some stern words about Emmanuel Macron's recent visit to China. Find out what she thinks about looking to a communist regime for a resolution to the conflict in Ukraine. North Korea fired what might be a new model of ballistic missile today. The launch triggered a scare in northern Japan where residents were told to take cover. Here's more. Missile sirens gave a jolt to residents in Japan's northern island of Hokkaido Thursday morning. People were told to seek immediate shelter after North Korea fired what appeared to be a new model of ballistic missile. The rare missile alert caused a lockup in train schedules. Commuters looked confused at service delays at Sapporo's train station, a break from its usual extreme punctuality. The evacuation warning was later lifted after the missile was confirmed to have fallen outside Japanese territory. Despite the troubles it caused, Chief Cabinet Secretary Hirokazu Matsuno defended issuing the alert. Since the point of the J-Alert is to promptly inform the public of the danger of falling objects from missiles, it was issued from the perspective of prioritizing the safety of our citizens. I believe the decision to issue the alert was appropriate. Pyongyang's missile flew around 620 miles, according to South Korea, which called it a grave provocation. The launch came days after North Korean leader Kim Jong-un called for strengthening the country's war deterrence in a more practical and offensive way to counter so-called moves of aggression by the United States. Pyongyang's strong words came about as the South continued joint military drills with the US. The South Korean Air Force performed aerial refueling exercises in clips it released this week. While condemning the latest missile test, Washington renewed its offer to open talks. National Security Council spokesperson Adrian Watson said in a statement, The door has not closed on diplomacy, but Pyongyang must immediately cease its destabilizing actions and instead choose diplomatic engagement. Beijing planning to close airspace north of Taiwan, an area that could impact international aviation, especially for neighboring countries like Japan and Korea, as well as the U.S. The statement came from Taiwan's defense ministry on Wednesday. The department noted the no-fly zone would fall within its air defense identification zone, about 85 nautical miles north of its shores. Judging from the public information, it will include missions related to aviation and space, meaning it could be related to anything, to satellites and communication. Whether it is really about those, I believe all departments are making investigations. 
A Japanese news agency said the no-fly zone also included part of Japan's exclusive economic zone. Hours later, the island said it had successfully urged China to drastically narrow its plan, shortening the no-fly zone's time frame to about half an hour on Sunday morning. That's down from the originally scheduled three days. The change will help avoid severe travel distributions, as happened during Chinese military drills last August. Former UK Prime Minister Liz Truss has some stern words about French President Emmanuel Macron's recent visit to China. Truss says looking to, the com- looking to Communist leader Xi Jinping for solution to the conflict in Ukraine is a mistake and a sign of weakness. And she criticized Macron for his lackluster stance on Taiwan. And TD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the former Prime Minister's comments. The idea that we can treat China as just another global player is is wrong. It is a totalitarian regime and we need to adapt our policies accordingly and we need to be... Trust was speaking at the 2023 Margaret Thatcher Freedom Lecture hosted by the Heritage Foundation in Washington, D.C. on Wednesday. The former U.K. Prime Minister criticized French President Emmanuel Macron for his proposed stance on Europe staying out of issues regarding Taiwan. And supporting Taiwan is not a distraction from supporting Ukraine. Putin and Xi have made it very clear that they are allies against Western capitalism. Trust believes looking to the leader of the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, for a resolution to the conflict in Ukraine is a sign of weakness. She says Western allies need to work together and be much more skeptical about statements and promises made by the CCP. The British politician condemned Macron and Ursula von der Leyen's recent visit to China. I think it was a mistake. I think it showed a divide in the West which doesn't exist. And I also believe that we should be much, much tougher on supporting Taiwan at this juncture. Trust says Macron is wrong to suggest Taiwan is not of direct interest to Europe and that Europe should be doing all it can to support Taiwan in defending itself. The Chinese regime's military declared Monday it is ready to fight after it finished large-scale combat exercises and a simulated blockade around Taiwan. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. The Chinese Communist Party's infiltration in major U.S. cities is coming to light, but Americans are pushing back. NTD's Tiffany Meyer spoke with Daily Caller investigative reporter Philip Lenzicki for details. Philip Lenzicki, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. And Philip, given all of your investigations into, say, these alleged CCP front groups and all the influence there, why should the public be concerned about this? Well, you know, at this point, this danger has metastasized. You know, we are now seeing reports where they're setting up, you know, shop essentially. They've got police stations in New York City, apparently, that have been raided now. But we know, and and I can tell you based on my uh, investigations into uh, these matters, this is not uh, the end of that story. They have now established a global network that includes police stations, but is not limited to that um, effort. And so if your uh, audience is in middle America or in a big city, the uh, sad reality is that they are very likely um, within, um, you know, close proximity to these type of operations. And that's exactly what the Chinese Communist Party is trying to accomplish. They're trying to um, threaten us and keep uh, their overseas members um, under close watch. So I think that it's time for us all to recognize this threat, not to be afraid of being called uh, names which really do not hold up under scrutiny. And we need to do something collectively before it's too late. And it does seem if you look at, say, the whole nation, there's been more of an awareness in the public on, say, the China threat. There's a lot of focus on TikTok and all these areas. Many polls and surveys will say most people see China as the biggest threat, not Russia. But given all of that, what has the response been to your own work specifically? You know, we've from the beginning, we've had some interest uh, going back to um, our investigation into Burns. A letter was written to um, uh, the CIA about that um, with uh, Judy Chu and um, Dominic Ng. Um, as well, there was a letter written to, um, to uh, I believe, the FBI about that, asking for some type of investigation. Um, and so I appreciate that. More recently, uh, Texas... Republican Representative um, Luttrell uh, co-authored a, a bill, which will be, which was his first, is my understanding, and that was to uh, rewrite the rules for the House 
to, to prohibit membership in an organization uh, which has uh, ties to the United Front Work Department um, or whose board members um, have such ties. And I think that that's fantastic. I think that that's a great um, move in the right direction. We'll see if it's, if it's adopted or not, but the fact that uh, they're taking interest in that along with uh, you know, six or, or more other members of Congress, I, I think is splendid. And Philip, with all the different areas covered today, any final words you'd like to add? You know, um, I think that while we go through, you know, this uh, truly uh, ugly conversation, and it really is, we, we need to be uh, sure about that. I think it's, it's important that we, we try to stay positive, that we remain optimistic, and we uh, keep, you know, faith in our system and, um, you know, try to find uh, that which can be made light of as we move through it. And I'm going to work on that, and I hope that you do too on your show. Well, Philip Lenzigi, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Coming up, Ukraine clings to the city of Bakhmut as fighting continues and the front lines are pummeled. The city belongs to a region Russia claims to have annexed. And Germany's foreign minister visits China and says the Chinese regime needs to pressure Russia to end the war in Ukraine. More shortly here on NTD News Today. Ukraine is clinging to Bakhmut, a city in the eastern region, Donetsk, but at a heavy price. Russian forces pounded the front lines with airstrikes and artillery attacks, while medical volunteers are hard at work. Before we take a look, I want to warn you, some viewers may find these images disturbing. Fighting raged in the frontline cities in eastern Ukraine as Russian forces launched airstrikes and artillery attacks. Footage from a Ukrainian soldier's body cam video released by the Border Service showed fighters launching rocket-propelled grenades and shooting rifles in the destroyed yard of a house purported to be the besieged city of Bakhmut. Ukrainian officials said its forces repelled dozens of attacks as the Russian military kept up its effort to take control of Bakhmut. The battle for the small, now largely ruined city on the edge of Russian-controlled territory in Donetsk has been the bloodiest of the war as Moscow tries to revive its campaign after recent setbacks. Both sides have suffered heavy casualties in the Bakhmut fighting. Near the front line, under the cover of darkness, medical volunteers loaded wounded soldiers into a bus converted into an ambulance to bring them to a hospital in the city of Dnipro. Tens of thousands of soldiers have been killed and wounded on both sides of the conflict. The ambulance effort involves rotating teams of volunteers who spend several weeks on call, ready when injured soldiers need transport from the front line. Both trained medics and volunteers without a medical background serve. Donetsk is one of four provinces in eastern and southern Ukraine that Russia declared annexed last year and is seeking to fully occupy. Last week, President Volodymyr Zelensky said troops could be withdrawn from Bakhmut if they ran the risk of being encircled. Kiev and the West say the smashed city has only symbolic importance. Ukraine has compared Russia to the ISIS terrorist group. That's after a video emerged showing apparent Russian soldiers filming themselves beheading a Ukrainian prisoner of war with a knife. ISIS terrorists were notorious for releasing videos of beheadings of captives. Zelensky said yesterday there will be legal responsibility for the act. Ukraine's foreign ministry called on the International Criminal Court to immediately investigate. The Kremlin, in response, called the video awful and that its authenticity needs to be checked. Moscow has denied in the past that its troops carry out atrocities during the conflict. Western media could not immediately verify the authenticity of the footage, which showed a man in uniform beheading a man who wears the yellow armband used by Ukrainian soldiers. In Geneva, the UN Human Rights Monitoring Mission in Ukraine said it was appalled by what it called particularly gruesome videos posted on social media. The German foreign minister visits China. She says China must help end the war in Ukraine, since the Chinese regime has the most influence on Russia. 
Only one person can end this war, that is the Russian president. And one country has the most influence on Russia, and that is China. That is why I'm also campaigning on this trip for China, as a permanent member of the UN Security Council, to stand up for peace in the world and help to ensure that the brutal Russian war of aggression is finally brought to a just end. She also said a conflict between Beijing and Taiwan would not be ideal since 50% of economic deliveries pass through the Taiwan Strait. She said it would disrupt the German economy. She also mentioned that some of Germany's dependencies on China are unhealthy and compared them to lessons Europe has learned in its dependencies on Russia. Baerbach also visited a German company in China and toured a German language school there. Part of the expected purpose of her trip is damage control after the French president made seemingly anti-Taiwan comments. His remarks appear to be at odds with the European Union. Baerbach has been more wary on relations with China than the German chancellor and is drafting a China policy aimed at reducing German dependence on trade with Beijing. Norway is expelling 15 Russian embassy officials. The foreign ministry said today that they are intelligence officers operating under the cover of diplomatic positions. The Norwegian government says the expulsion amount to a quarter of Russian diplomats. It's the latest instance of Western nations expelling Russian diplomats. So far this year, Estonia, the Netherlands, and Austria have also expelled Russian diplomats. Norway's foreign minister said the activities of the officers posed a threat to Norway and that their activities had been monitored over time. The Russian foreign ministry said Moscow would respond to the expulsions. When we come back, NASA is simulating life on Mars. A four-man crew commits to tight quarters for the study as prep to send astronauts to Mars sometime in the next decade. And a teacher says his students dream of the stars. In a town near Russia's space launch pad, the town is full of museums and murals from the, from the space era. Stay tuned for more on that when we return. Brazil is hosting the largest defense and security trade show in Latin America. The event is taking place in Rio de Janeiro. It features the latest in defense technology. And today's Costemines tells us more. The 13th edition of the LAAD Defense and Security Exhibition started in Rio on April 11th. Over 130 official delegations from all around the world are expected at the event. Exhibitors represent over 400 brands covering a wide array of subjects. From aeronautical and naval engineering, as well as ammunition and armaments, to vehicles, cyber defense and personal and tactical equipment. The event also features consulting and training. In Tuesday's opening ceremony, Brazilian Defense Minister José Mucio emphasized the importance of the defense industry for the country. In his opening speech, he told attendees that the defense industrial base currently employs nearly three million people in Brazil, and that each job in the industry generates more than two and a half jobs in other sectors. The event will run through April 14th. Costa Menes, NTD News. NASA plans to send astronauts to Mars sometime in the 2030s. But before takeoff, the agency is posting a four-person crew in a simulated Mars habitat. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on the year-long study. NASA's Johnson Space Center in Houston. Here, scientists are simulating conditions on Mars. So the Crew Health and Performance Exploration Analog, or CHPIA, uh, was developed as a one-year Mars surface simulation with the intent that we can have crew in isolation and confinement with Mars realistic restrictions. The 3D printed structure has four small bedrooms, two bathrooms, a work area, a robot station, an exercise room, and a medical room. The exterior is a sandy area designed to mimic the surface of Mars. So this is where they come in from Mars, or in our case, this sandbox, and they'd have their sand, the sand and the dust on them, and they want to get it off before they get into the hab. So they go from, in the airlock, the dirty room, 
they take off their dirty clothes here, they go to the clean room, and then they go to the node and they can go into the hab. One of the restrictions is a limited amount of water. The space even has an area for the crew to grow vegetables. So they will, during some periods, have the opportunity to grow some crops and they will be able to consume those crops. So it would be like salad type of crops, so pick and eat, um, leafy greens, tomatoes, things like that. Mars is roughly 140 million miles from Earth on average. For comparison, the moon is about 240,000 miles away. The distance and living environment can take a toll on the crew. Besides the isolation confinement and the sheer distance, um, would be things like being able to get along. So when you're in a small habitat with, you know, three other people, um, that can wear on you over time. A four-man crew is set to stay at Chapia for one year starting this summer. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. A $25,000 reward is being offered for the first person who finds a space rock somewhere near the border of Canada and the United States. The Maine Mineral and Gem Museum wants to study fragments from a fireball detected by NASA last week. The meteorite is believed to have landed in a field close to Calais, Maine. Officials at the museum are cautiously optimistic, saying radar data will help someone find the rock, which could contain valuable information about the solar system. A town in Kazakhstan is full of monuments to Soviet space era, but it's also a reminder of the ultimate collapse of the USSR. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details. Baikonur is just 25 miles away from Russia's space launch pad. It was officially recognized as a town in 1969. Nearly 80,000 people now call it home. The city's Soviet past can still be seen on every corner. Baikonur has a curious legal status. It's located in Kazakhstan, but follows Russian law. This city is not just special. It's one of a kind. There is no second Baikonur. We live on Kazakhstan soil, but here in Baikonur, we follow Russian law. It's under Russian jurisdiction. You could carry out experiments on us, the way we live. Of course, this city does not look modern, but we probably don't need it to. All around Baikonur, there are monuments to space explorers, full-scale airship monuments, and rocket-themed murals on apartment blocks. It is also home to the Space School and the Space Exploration Museum. There are reminders of Soviet achievements in space, but also of the difficult time the town went through after the collapse of the USSR. I served at a peculiar time. During the collapse of the Soviet Union, Moscow completely forgot about us. That's when we felt that we had had a good supply in the city. Suddenly, we had nothing. Just imagine a colonel walking around the Peace Park near Peace Street, collecting bottles and aluminum cans to carry them to a collection point to get some money to feed himself. The future seems brighter, though. The head teacher of the International Space School likens himself to the children of today. I was five years old when I built my first rocket model. Only a year later, I formally went to the school where I had built my model. Just like these kids of today who study here, there's a fire in their eyes. They dream of the stars. That passion could be seen at an annual model rocket competition called the Baikonur Cosmodrome Cup. Model rocket enthusiasts from Russia, Kazakhstan, and Kyrgyzstan attended. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. A thousand-year-old ballgame scoreboard unearthed in eastern Mexico. Archaeologists say it's a witness of the Mayan civilization. The disc features carvings of two ballplayers surrounded by hieroglyphic writing. It measures over 12 inches in diameter and weighs about 90 pounds. It was found at the archaeological site of an ancient Mayan city. Researchers say it's been over a decade since they found a new object there with hieroglyphics. Researchers are now working on its study and protection. It's really not common to find this type of piece, which is directly associated with the ball game. We're talking about a scoreboard of the ball game, and it was commemorating a transcendental game with important people on the site. The scoreboard dates back to 800 or 900 AD. At that time, ball games were a traditional practice of the Mesoamerican people and believed to have some ritual meaning. After the break, the very last performance of the Phantom of the Opera is this Sunday. 
The iconic mu musical has enjoyed a 35-year run on Broadway. It's been 35 years now, but now the Phantom of the Opera will end on Sunday. And TD's Andrew Thomas has more from the actors and musicians involved in the longest-running show on Broadway. In February, producers announced the Phantom of the Opera would close due to a sharp drop in ticket sales. Understudy Ted Keegan said each moment since the announcement has been precious. To be looking at this as being our final week open, um, you know, we've known for, for months at this point, and it was always looming far in the future. It didn't seem as though it was something that was imminent. Concert master Joyce Hammond has been with the show for 33 years. She compared the feeling to leaving for college. You're leaving a place that is familiar and that you love and has so many memories, but you're excited about where you're going. This is very similar, though it's been pretty much twice that amount of time. Richard Poole is a long-running cast member. The actor has 8,000 shows under his belt after nearly 25 years. I get up every morning and I still pinch myself, even to this day. When we see that there's a closing, I still pinch myself and go, I can't believe I've had this experience. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's just been the most beautiful and incredible gift. The Phantom of the Opera has been a staple within the world of Broadway. The musical won over 70 major theater awards. There have been over 13,700 performances since its debut in 1988. Many of the show's original cast members and celebrity fans will attend the final performance on April 16th. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Red, yellow, pink, and more. It's tulip season and New Jersey's Dalton Farms is colorfully planted with tulips in full bloom. Dalton Farms Tulip Festival started this year at the end of March. The organizers, say, the organizers' website says now a million flowers are in full bloom. Gardening website Garden Find says tulips can represent many things depending on the color of the flower, but generally represent love, rebirth, new beginnings, or charity. And while tulips are prominent in Dutch culture, they originated in Central Asia and migrated from that region. Visitors to Dalton Farms can simply enjoy the beauty of flowers, or they can pick their own flowers for $2, a tulip, or 10 for 10. Add that to the price of entry tickets, $12 online and $16 at the gate if available. This year's festival ends next Friday. The world's oldest gorilla has turned 66 years old. A Berlin Zoo threw her, her a birthday party with a special treat. Berries, fresh fruit, and salad Fatu, the gorilla, enjoyed her rare birthday feast. Her daily diet consists mainly of vegetables because fruits contain a lot of sugar. Fatu set a record outliving the average gorilla by more than 20 years. This also means she needs even more care. While the zoo has five other gorillas, she lives in her own enclosure. Western lowland gorillas like Fatu are considered critically endangered due to habitat losses. There are plenty of drug-related ways to treat headaches. However, why risk side effects from medications when you can go all natural? Here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. People have been treating headaches naturally for thousands of years. Let's explore some natural remedies, starting with acupuncture. You may want to try traditional Chinese medicine. Headaches and migraine pain can be relieved by unblocking the meridians. According to the findings of a 22 study review, acupuncture was effective. It was similar in effectiveness to common migraine medications. Next, let's look at electrolytes. Electrolytes are minerals. These include sodium chloride, magnesium, potassium, and calcium. If they are out of balance, which is usually caused by dehydration, you may get a headache or migraine. To help prevent this, be sure to replace low electrolyte levels by drinking a beverage that contains these essential elements. Next, let's look at essential oils. Essential oils have the ability to ease headaches and migraine pain. Try inhaling the aroma of lavender and peppermint. Place a drop or two on your upper lip or a cotton ball and inhale. Get some relief by rubbing peppermint oil onto your temples or the back of the neck. Next, let's look at ginger. 
Ginger can relieve headache pain. A study appearing in Phytotherapy Research reported that ginger powder was comparable to a common prescription drug for migraine. It has been used in natural medicine for centuries. You can use ginger tea or a supplement. And finally, let's look at water. Did you know that not staying adequately hydrated can cause both migraines and tension headaches? So make sure you drink plenty of water daily and eat water-rich foods like fruits and vegetables. Today is National Thomas Jefferson Day, a chance to take pause and honor the third president of the United States. It's observed every year on April 13th, Jefferson's birthday. Jefferson was one of the nation's founding fathers and was a prolific writer and reader. He's best known as the primary author of the Declaration of Independence, but he also wrote countless manuscripts and maintained a vast written correspondence with his contemporaries. His library reportedly contained 6,500 volumes. A true Renaissance man, Jefferson was not only a lawyer and statesman, but also a scientist and student of many academic disciplines. Thank you for tuning in today. If you'd like to share any news tips or feedback for the show, please feel free to email us at news.today at ntd.com. I'm Chris Beers, NTD News, New York City. On the new episode of International Reporters Roundtable, Donald Trump's indictment, a former U.S. president and current political contender accused of serious charges. Is the legal system becoming weaponized in the free world? Is Lady Justice still blind? Journalists Claude Purcella, Rebecca Koffler, and Pierre Chiartano join us to discuss the case's possible fallout. What leadership means if public opinion or private interests outweigh the law? Tune in with NTD host Cindy Drukier and our guest panel, giving us a clearer picture of these global events, Saturday at 1 p.m. or Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time.